wonderful song. And I want to thank you for singing with the enthusiasm that you have been led in by our brother Clark. Thank God for the scripture reading, for the prayer that was uttered on behalf of all mankind, and for this church in particular. The Lord has brought us a mighty long way. And I'm just so glad to know him in the pardon of my sins. Because therein is joy and peace. And I declare to you today that no Jesus, no peace. That needs to be our message to our world. It's not about saying what folk want you to hear. It's about Jesus. And as long as Jesus is not invited to the table, we will find no peace anywhere in this world. And so this morning I come with that attitude and it forces me to look at God's mode of operation because God has never changed. You see, God knew that what we're going through today, which is no more than a continuation that, that of what has always existed, God has been working since the very beginning after the fall of man to reconcile man back to himself. In other words, to fix the breach, to make for peace again to restore the relationship again. Whether it was on the other side of the cross or this side of the cross, the message of 2 Corinthians chapter five today is that God has in his infinite wisdom always, regardless of what has been happening in the world, working his plan to bring fallen man back to himself. And the, the scriptures continue to present him as a spurned lover who continues to run behind his people and intervene at certain places before man destroys himself and he's doing no less today so that all of us who believe in the Lord and in his son Christ Jesus ought to be able to understand and have a little bit of peace in this world where there is no peace and I want to encourage you today to study along with us I don't I don't have a whole lot to give you but I think I have what we need. I don't need to preach all day to show it to you either. But I am going to just take a little while this morning and show it to you. And then it'll be yours to do with as you like. I want to, just for the sake of emphasis, reread and make a comment or two about our scriptural text this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I encourage those of you who are visiting with us to open your Bible, to study along with us, because if you don't study along with us, then you are taking 
my word for it. And you ought not take my word for it. There are times when I can't even trust me. So you ought not trust me. But follow behind and see if your Bible says what my Bible says. And if it does not, you ought to be trying to be the path to me after the service. To say you need to explain this further to me. We'll get down to the business at hand. Second Corinthians chapter 5 this morning as we talk about God's plans. Therefore, if any man be, and we're in verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So we can draw from that, that if a man is not in Christ, he's not a new creature. Therefore, all things have not passed away. And everything remains just as it was. The, the difference, the separating line between the world and us, between our old man and our new man, is to be in Christ Jesus. And we are placed in Christ Jesus when we are baptized for the remission of our sins. According to Acts chapter 2, verse 47, God added to the church those who were being saved when the church started in Acts chapter 2. And then verse 18 says, and all things are of God. That's the part that's difficult for some people to understand. All things. Look. Nothing happens in this world without God's knowledge and approval. We may not always understand why. In other words, what I'm saying is nothing happens that surprises God. God knows all about it. He's known about it before we were even given life and placed on this planet. God already knew. What was going to happen, he already knew his response to it. And this is no different. This chimes in with Romans chapter 8, verse number 28, where the Bible says, All things, everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent, all things, work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Those who are among the saved. But look at what he continues to say here. Therefore, if any man, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Those of us who were his children at one time who broke away from him. God has been reconciling us back to himself through his son, Christ Jesus. Because there is no way for us to get back to him without paying the price that Jesus paid for us. And that's why he goes on to say in this very chapter, that he made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, 
that we might experience the, the righteousness of God. This is how he says it in verse 19, to wit, here's the ministry of reconciliation. Here's the explanation of reconciliation, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. That, you know what that suggests? He has given us his word. That he will reconcile us back to himself through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now then, we are ambassadors. Since we know that, Paul says, we are ambassadors. Who can better be an ambassador? for the reconciliation that we've received through Christ Jesus, but us. We are the ambassadors who speak on behalf of God through Jesus Christ to tell the world about God's reconciling power that is not all up to us. Oh, we have to buy in but God is more willing to reconcile us to him than we are to be reconciled to him. In other words, he's more willing to forgive us than we are to ask his forgiveness. Always looking to reconcile. Are you the one that's always looking to stop the argument or you, do you keep it going? See, in this scheme, we're the ones who keep the argument going. God wants to end the argument. And the way he does it is by forgiving us through Christ Jesus, thus reconciling us to himself. For he hath made him to be sin for us. Oh, folk, if you don't have anything else to say hallelujah about, you ought to say hallelujah about that. God! assigned Jesus our sins. Didn't ask us nothing about it because we've still been meeting on it. God, before he even, we even knew him, was reconciling through Jesus to bring us back to him. So part of that reconciliation involved Jesus accepting our Sins. That's why Jesus asked as he was on the cross. That's why God turned his back on him. See, because God has nothing to do with sin. And when Jesus hung on the cross, he represented the sins of us all. So God turned his back on him. And that's why Jesus asked him, Lord, why are you forsaking me? But the unanswered question is because you who knew no sin right now represents sin. No sin of your own, but the sins of the world. So he did it, though, so that he could reconcile and bring us back and that we could understand and apply the term righteousness for one time in our lives to ourselves. But it is only a righteousness that we obtain through Christ Jesus. 
It's not our own. So then, let me make just a few observations and I'll move on. What an opportunity. What an opportunity we have today to point men back to the Bible. What a grand opportunity that is. It's during times like these that we have a greater advantage in leading men to the inevitable truth of the scriptures. Men are learning sooner rather than later that all the stuff they put on the table hasn't worked. And it just didn't start in our generation. The one thing that man has learned throughout our history is that what we want to do rarely works. And what does work, works for a very little time. And then we go right back to where we were. The pendulum swings us right back to where we were. You can remember times in the development of our country when it seems like we were making some progress. Those of us who are older talk about when we grew up and the good old days and how good things were. Well, they were good, but they weren't good for very long. There were marches and there were hugs and there were kisses thrown amongst different races of people that looked good as a soundbite on TV. But what we do realize that in the midst of the civil rights movement, four young girls lost their lives while they were at church. So the shootings of the day are nothing new. Social media and the news puts it out there a little faster. Gives us a bit more detail that makes it seem like these are the worst times in the world. But folks, let me hurry up and tell you, the world has always been in a state of flux. We've always not known what we were doing. We just didn't find out today that all the stuff we've tried has gone astray. But you know what? The Lord didn't leave us without proper warning. Paul taught Timothy in the second letter he wrote to him in chapter four, verses one through four. He says, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, that you, Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead in his appearing. Paul said, Timothy, I'm giving you this charge before God and Jesus. Preach the word. Preach the word. He didn't say, entertain the foe. He didn't say, tell them what they want to hear. He said, preach the word. And in your preaching it, stay constant in season when they like it. And out of season when they don't like it. Because the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine. And to show that, he says, they will heap upon themselves teachers. In other words, they'll surround themselves with teachers who say what they want to hear. 
teachers who will tell you anything to scratch your itching ears so that they can draw away people after themselves. That's the bottom line. Because they're only concerned about themselves. I want you to drop that passage into today's society and see if you don't find some parallels there. Men are tired of hearing the truth. They want to hear what somebody else thinks will work. But let me tell you this. All of this is happening because God allows it to happen. And I'm going to show you what he's going to do about it. I'm going to show you what God has always done. God has always intervened. Intervention. Well, some of you may know it in another form. You, do you remember when you were young and you used to go to the dances? And somebody came up and asked you to dance and you really didn't want to dance with them. But you didn't want to hurt their feelings either. So you consented to dance and just as soon as you got started a little bit, you may have had a buddy in the, you know, you could give the high, the high side. And they come in and tap him on the show and say, can I cut in? They weren't asking you as much as they were telling you. I'm cutting in. You go and sit down and I'm going to finish this one up. That's kind of what happens when God intervenes in the affairs of men. Because, see, we've started dancing with somebody we don't really want to dance with. And at some point, God steps in and says, I'll take it from here. You go sit down. And I'm going to show you how God has done that throughout history. Throughout the history of man. After Adam and Eve fell, he had to go and save the Israelites from the Egyptians. And the Bible says that... Uh, in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, God said to his children, he said to Moses, he said, I've heard the cry of my children, the Israelites. I've seen the suffering that they've endured at the hands of the Egyptians and Pharaoh. I've seen long enough how they've been treated and how they've been dogged out, Brother Otis. And I've seen it come to a place where Israel is pouring out their heart to me every day to deliver them from this physical death. He said to Moses, I've heard their cry. It's not that they had just started crying. But he says, now it's time for me to intervene. I've been listening to the cries for hundreds of years. But now, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him, I said, let him go. Tap him on the shoulder and tell him, I'm cutting in. 
God is intervening. And when you tap him on the shoulder and he said, who are you cutting in on me? Tell him I am is cutting in. Tell him the great God of heaven is cutting in. Because it's time I intervene. Oh, intervention is just not going to happen today and continues, it continues to happen today. But let me show you what today's intervention is making us do. It kind of makes you wonder, now more than ever before, what difference it makes that you're doing well in a sick world where you can't go anywhere without wondering whether you'll make it back home. That takes some of the oomph out of you doing all right, doesn't it? It makes the things we value seem so insignificant in producing the things that really matter. And that's why Jesus challenged his disciples by asking them, what does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world? and lose his own soul. The value of life has plummeted, which should prompt every man and every woman to concentrate on something beyond what this life has to offer. That's why Matthew 6, Jesus taught his disciples to lay up treasure not on this earth, verses 19 through 21, where men break through and steal, and where rust and corrode will break through and, and, and devalue it, but load up on your treasures in a place where they're going to be waiting for you when you get there. Oh, Lord, have you found anywhere to keep your money where it's safe? Under the mattress doesn't work anymore, does it? But guess what? Neither does it in your bank. Banks are going broke. 401ks aren't safe anymore. So you tell me, what does this world has to offer that we can take with us to the grave that's man-made? And that makes it a difference. We've already heard Solomon say in Ecclesiastes 1, all is vanity. You know what vanity means? Meaningless. He said, I've experienced everything under the sun. Now, Solomon was a great man in his own right. But he says, I've experienced everything under the sun. And at the end of the day, the, the message I'm leaving you is that it's all meaningless. I'm sure glad he said that before the end of the day so I can keep stuff in its proper place. It's all meaningless. I can't imagine finding peace in the midst of this current world without a knowledge of God and his promises. I need to recite to myself every now and then Matthew 28, 20. I'm with you always, even unto the end of the ages. And maybe that's what was happening in the Old Testament when I share with you just a couple of things. 
You remember in 2 Kings, <coughs> Second Kings chapter 6, Elisha. You remember Elisha? Well, in 2 Kings chapter 6, again, show you how the Lord intervenes. The Bible talks about the wars that the Israelites were constantly in with the Syrians. They were always fighting back and forth. So there's going to be some fighting in your life, folk. You're not going to sail through here. I don't care if you don't do nothing to nobody. You can be the best person in your neighborhood. You are not meant to sail through life with no problem. You're going to have some problems. It, it, you know what? It supersedes you even going outside. You can stay in the house and have problems. You can become your own problem. Matter of fact, you can become your own worst enemy. Maybe some folks need to get out of the house to protect themselves from themselves. Get out there and interact with some other folk a little time. Help them, let them help you take your mind off you. I know some folk think that if I don't go nowhere, I can't be accused of doing anything. But oh, Oh, there's a lot of sin going on behind closed doors and in the recesses of our minds. Mm -hmm. Okay, let me move on. Let me move on. But the Bible says that the Syrians and the Israelites were always at battle. And see, one thing we find about God is that when his folk didn't do what was right by him, he allowed bad things to happen to him. He allowed them to be enslaved. He allowed them to be attacked constantly because they couldn't keep their word to him. One day they say, we gonna follow. And the next day they say, no we ain't. We changed our mind. So the Lord would always, it seems, let them get involved in something. And in 2 Kings 6, they're involved again with the Syrian army. But every time the Syrians would attack Israel, God would tell Elisha, a prophet of God in Israel, what their war plans were. So Israel would win over and over again. Because they knew the war plans before Syria ever got there. Because Elijah was being told by God, and he'd go back and tell Israel, this is where they're coming, this is where they're going to do, here's where they're going to jump you right in here. So be real careful. And every time, see the Lord's got an emissary for you. Has an emissary ever come to you? And said to you what they said to David, be careful, your enemy is seeking to kill you. See, God will send you an emissary too. 
a little small voice that says, don't go there. Don't do that. Evade this. Escape that. Touch not, taste not, handle not that. That's an emissary coming to you, hoping that you will take advantage of knowing the enemy's game plan. So here Elisha would run back and tell Israel, and Israel just beat up on Syria all the time. So when, when the king, Aram, found out what was happening, because somebody told, somebody snitched on Elisha. In keeping with what goes around comes around. When you snitch on somebody, somebody gonna snitch on you. Some people live to snitch on folk. They already, that some people see and keep it to themselves. Some people see and can't keep it to themselves. They have to tell somebody. Well, somebody other than Elisha went and told the king of Syria that Elisha was the snitch. So the king sent out for him. He said, where is he? They said, he's in Dothan. He said, well, get down there and get him. Bring him back here. That morning, when Elisha's young servant woke up, he went outside the door and the Bible says all he saw was chariots and horses surrounding where they were. He woke Elisha up and said, come here and look at this. He said, how, how are we going to do? Which is interpreted, what are we going to do? All these folk out here, they're getting ready to do something to us. And Elisha said to him, don't worry. Those that are with them, those that are with us, are much greater than those that are with them. And I imagine just like some of us are baffled today, that young man was baffled because all he could see in his company was him and Elisha. It's like, what in the world are you talking about? Oh, and one of the most potent moments in scripture is when Elijah bowed his head and said, Lord, open his eyes. Let him see what I see. And the Bible says, and God did it. And when he opened his eyes, he looked and the mountains were surrounded with God's people. Chariots and Horses everywhere. But you see, the man of God had to pray to God to open that young man's eyes because I don't know about you. Have you ever looked for something that was right in your face? Come on, that may just be me. Been looking for my glasses and they up here. I'm tearing the house apart. Walk in the room, my wife said, what you doing? I said, I'm looking for my glasses. She just, she said, okay, baby. <laughs> but that's typical of us. You don't see stuff unless you're really looking for it. 
A lot of stuff doesn't just jump out at you. You have to pay attention to what it is you think you see. And if you get to a place today where you think the world outnumbers us, you know this. God and one man is a majority. That's all he needs. God and one man is a majority. We outnumber the foe. The number who are with us is always greater than the number that are out there. God just needs to open your eyes. But in order for him to do it, you got to ask him. You got to ask him, Lord, open my eyes. When I'm having problems, I can't see how you're going to fix it. Open my eyes. How many times have things that you thought were impossible happened right at your house? You didn't believe it until after it happened. And then your Lord, have mercy on me. Let me tell you something. You don't have to be scared anymore today. Because the Lord, when he gets ready, is going to intervene. He's going to tap the political system on the shoulder. And all that it has to deal with. Let me end by giving you another example this morning of how God's intervention is our salvation. You remember, well, two more. You remember in Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. This is after God has started all over again. Man had become so evil that the scripture says the very thoughts and intents of his heart were evil continually. That's all he thought about was evil. The Bible says he decided to destroy the world with water, had Noah build an ark, and then afterwards saved eight people on that boat. When that boat finally subsided, a new generation started with those eight who got off the boat. It wasn't too long down the road where the people who were building their new cities decided, you know, people of God deciding, let's build not only a city, but let's build a tower that will reach from earth to heaven. And it gives you the reason they want to do it. They said, so that we can make a name for ourselves. Isn't that something? Here's the Lord saying, I'm displeased with this generation. I'm going to destroy them. And then he starts another. And man is addicted to be estranged from God. We're not going to do right. That's the bottom line. We're just not going to do right. So the Lord intervenes in our lives from time to time to get us to understand the value of his intervention. Yeah. Oh, but he often lets things get out of hand for us before he intervenes. God had to intervene. The Bible says he had to confuse their speech to keep them from trying to build a tower that would reach to glory. See how he intervenes. And then in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 
verse 14, I want you to notice something. Second Chronicles chapter 7. And the lesson will move to our concluding. Second Chronicles. I ain't said what you wanted to hear yet. He ain't say I'm finished. 714. Now we, we're familiar with 714. Okay, Second Chronicles 7, 14. I want you, with me with 14, I want you to look at verses, verse 13. I want you to look at verse 13. The Lord says, if I shut up heaven, that there be no rain. Or if I command the locusts to devour the land. Or if I send pestilence among my people. Look, he's setting the stage for the solution. God is saying in verse 13, I'm going to send some pestilence. I'm going to send some things that are not going to meet with your approval. I'm going to allow some things to happen in the land. He talks about it in Matthew 24. Jesus does. When he was asked, what, what will be the sign? What are the signs of the end of the age? Jesus says there'll be false prophets coming, claiming they're the Christ. There will be pestilence. There will be famine. There will be earthquakes in diverse places. He says, even though all of this is happening, that's not the end yet. But these are things that you're going to experience before the end. God has always allowed man to experience some pestilence and some famine. It was Jesus who said, the poor you have with you always. But look at the solution. I'm going to allow these things to happen. But if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. We're in that time right now, folks. What does the Lord call upon us to do? Nothing more than that, it just includes something different today. There was a time, according to Hebrews 1, when God spoke to us through prophets. But now, he speaks to us through his son, who is a Lord, a master, a head over his own house, whose house we are, if we stay in this book, if we keep what we've been taught, God, help us by opening our eyes to see what you have planned for us. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. No man can come to the Father except by me. I'm reminded of Jesus' words to Pilate in John 19, 11. When he told Pilate, you would have no authority 
No power except my Father give it to you. So the same forces in the world who are being allowed to trouble us. God said, don't worry. I'm going to open your eyes after a while so that you can see what I see. We are encompassed with God's forces. There is an invisible army, as it were, surrounding us. Don't you grow weary in well-doing today. Because through faith in Jesus Christ, through your belief in him as the son of God, John 8, 24, through your willingness to turn your life around, Luke 13, 3 and 5, through your willingness to confess him before a crowd like this as your new Lord because you're a new creature now. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. And with your willingness to be baptized, added to the body of Christ, Acts 2, 38, whereby you become a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You learn how to look at the world through brand new eyes. That's the message to you today. If you're subject to it in any way, come right now as we together stand and as we sing.